I'm telling you, Spoke, de Blasio's putting up the big numbers in 2019. New York City's going to win the war on cars in 2019. That's how it looks to me. Well, with, with what? Sharrows? He's going to win 21, it with Sharrows? Mi- 21 miles of protected bike lanes, Spoke. 21. You know who's doing it right? Okay, who's doing who do it great? Who in do you place got? you wouldn't expect? Garcetti. Garcetti oh, in Los come Angeles. On. Garcetti. It's car country, and he's building oh. transit. He's building metro lines. Come you on. You can't even walk in L.A. You get arrested for walking in L.A. You can't ride a bike in L.A. Garcetti. We're going to go big, big, big leagues. We're going to go to Paris and Hidalgo. Okay. She is getting it done. Banning cars left and right, putting bikes on the Seine River. There's nobody better. Uh, Spoke, look. If Adalga's doing such a good job, why are they burning tires with the yellow vests in the middle of the street now? Uh, you everywhere can't, you, you go, you can't lay that on her. Those are like hooligans, like soccer hooligans. Those are the drivers. They're pissed off. They're, they're I can't even tell. They're the right wing fascists, the left wing fascists. They're burning the tires in the middle, all over Paris. Uh, that got- ain't her fault. The planet's burning. She's trying to do something about oh, these right wing lunatics. Come in here. Oh, agree to disagree. Agree to disagree on no Adalga. Way. All right, let's bring it back to the United States. We're gonna take a voice memo. Take a call. Take a voice memo. Hello, the war on cars. Longtime listener, Patreon, supporter, thanks for all you do, all that stuff. This is the war on cars, the podcast about, Aaron, what's it about? Yeah, it's about cars and how to ruin in your city. <laughs> you can get out of character now. <laughs> okay, We're not those talk oh, radio I don't guys. Have to do that anymore. I'm Doug Gordon. And I'm Aaron Napperstack. And on this episode, we are going to be responding to listener comments and questions. It is a mailbag episode. Longtime listeners will have noticed that we are one voice short. Uh, Sarah Goodyear's away this week. Yep. And before we get to the voice memos from listeners, we have some follow-up uh, from our last episode. As you may recall, we dissected the Whoopi Goldberg anti-bike lane rant on ABC's The View. And we talked about how it illustrated a liberal blind spot for cars. So last week, members of Families for Safe Streets, which is an advocacy group here in New York comprised of parents and family members who have lost children and other loved ones to traffic violence. They actually demonstrated outside the ABC studios in Manhattan. I think they actually recently went into the studios. They were trying to get a chance to talk to Whoopi Goldberg to get her to bring this stuff up on the air to respond to her claims. Uh, and they wanted to get an apology from her. And they didn't exactly They didn't get quite that. get an apology from her talking because the other day we had the mayor on and for some reason people misunderstood my talking about the bike lane so gonna- for some reason people misunderstood that's not an apology yeah. whoopee that's <laughs> blaming people for misunderstanding you yeah all good apologies start with them um, i think you misunderstood what <laughs> i right. actually meant that's right. called no in my family we call that a non-pology a non-pology yeah let's continue bike lanes are fine bikers are fine i said that Uh, I think we could find better ways to put them around so that everybody can be safe. Everybody can have all the safety they need, people who drive, people who bike. Because sometimes I think that, you know, we don't have the, you know, there are barriers that go up and down in the city that we, we could put it in and people could get access to where they need to go in the event of an emergency or a holiday. And so I guess people thought I was... <laughs> All right, so, yeah, okay. Uh, in the event of an emergency or a holiday. So basically, uh, she wants New York City to be designed like a shopping mall parking lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's like exactly. It should be designed for the peak uses. And, you know, we should put bike lanes around for the people. For the we, people, you know, that's, because that's drivers pretty... and people who bike should be safe. I was saying, I think we can do a better job 
putting them in the city and keeping everybody safe, the bikers, the drivers, everybody. So I'm very sorry if, if uh, folks didn't know that that's what I was talking about. Oh, uh, that's very, such a bad apology. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry if you listened to the exact words I said, took them at their literal face value, <laughs> right. and misunderstood their literal face value. It really is amazing that this went on for as long as it did, and this was the best apology she could come up with. Right, right. Like they, so, and they I mean, have, what is an apology? Like an apology require you know, you do a little soul searching, some genuine acknowledgement of wrongdoing. You go a little first person. I am sorry for doing X. That you know, that, it's, it's pretty pretty. It's hard to do. Yeah, but it's well understood. Stay tuned because the War on Cars will soon just be a Whoopi Goldberg themed podcast. <laughs> exactly. Every week we will talk about what she did it wrong. Works, man. It's good for the ratings. All right, so let's move. Let, let's move on to some other business. T-shirts are back. War on Cars t-shirts are currently available from our friends at Cotton Bureau. We're going to put up a link in the show notes, but you can go to cottonbureau.com, just do a search for the War on Cars, and you can get yours today. And speaking of t-shirts, our first voice memo from the listener mailbag. Here we go. Hello, this is Monica Morin from Arlington, Virginia. I would like to start by saying thank you to the War on Cars for making such buttery soft t-shirts that I want to wear all the time. That's amazing. Buttery, buttery soft. Wow. They are nice t-shirts. They are very nice t-shirts. Anyhow, Monica had a really good story about her uh, War on Cars t-shirt. On Wednesday, the 23rd of January, I had my first jury duty since college. So I chose my Buttery Soft War on Cars t-shirt and a nice big scarf that covered my t-shirt. I biked on over to my jury duty. Nice, yeah. Where I learned that the case at hand was a DUI. The judge opened the voir dire by going through the rigmarole of asking about if we knew any of the lawyers, witnesses, defendant, etc. Then she asked all of us as a group about personal bias, and my hand shot right up. Uh-oh. I see nice. where this is going. The prosecutor asked for a sidebar. So I walked up, and the judge saw my shirt, and she was like, yep. <laughs> I was dismissed, and someone else called up to my chair. Anyway, that's just my adventure with my War on Cars t-shirt. That is fantastic. But, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about that, uh, Doug. I, I think I want War on Cars listeners sitting in on jury duties. You I know, mean, I want yes. them on the jury. We want them convicting more drivers. Yeah, like, absolutely. What, how, seriously, if, if somebody was in the jury duty wearing like a Chevy hat, they wouldn't kick them out. They wouldn't see that as biased. That's the liberal bias against cars that we're talking about the whole, all the, the time. No, that is, a, that is amazing that, um, that Monica wore the t-shirt, and it got her out of jury duty. Thank you, Monica, for the story. That was excellent. Um, everybody go to thewaroncars.org. Get yourself a War on Cars t-shirt and just one more piece of business. Patreon. If you can support us on Patreon, that would be great. Just want to remind people that we are giving away new Band Cars stickers at the $5 level. So please throw a few bucks our way and you will get one of those. Hashtag Ban Cars. Very popular sticker. All right, so it's time to dig back into our electronic mailbox and hear from some listeners. So here we go. Hey, War on Cars people. This is Stephen Bodson, longtime listener, first-time caller. Okay, not a long-time listener. Just long listen to the first couple episodes. I am enjoying it. But as far as your debate about whether to call it the War on Cars, I am completely in the camp. It says, no, that's a dumb name, it's a bad name, mm. and it's a name that's actually counterproductive to the movement. The war on drugs, the war on terror, the war on cancer, 
the war on poverty. These things working. Yeah, doing a hell of a job. Thanks. Oh, provocative. Yeah. Provocative. We heard we heard that critique a lot. Actually. I, I hear it every now and then from even friends who say, man, that's I don't like that title. But the thing is, you know, I think if we had called ourselves like the wonky wonk podcast right. where we talk about transit, automotive technology and transportation, yeah. we'd have like two listeners and they would be you and me. Right. And that would Streets be it. Pod. And Streets I think pod. the war on cars, like it's obviously meant to be provocative. Right. And so, and you know, so on the one hand, it's kind of a, it's kind of a joke. We're sort of, we're, we're just trying to own this, this phrase that comes up every time you try to take a parking spot away from a car and replace it with a bike rack or a bike lane or a bus, you know, somebody accuses you of waging war on cars. But on the other hand, it's kind of serious. Like, you know, there's another way to look at this where cars are essentially waging a kind of war on cities, you know, and we should just be clear about the incredible amount of destruction that this transportation technology from the middle of the 20th century has caused in our cities. And, and I think I mentioned in a past episode that I, I like the terminology, the war on cars, because it forces the other side to have to defend why there shouldn't be a war on cars. Because just like you're saying, it's really destructive. You have 40,000 Americans who die every year. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, more and more, I just think about the the climate emergency piece of this, the fact that we're, you know, our cars produce 30% of the total greenhouse gas emissions in the US. And I like the war message because I think it conveys a sense of urgency. And cities are a place where we can actually, we can change this and it won't hurt cities. It will help cities. And we should feel a sense of urgency about it. I mean, I like to think of our national emergency and what we need to do uh, as sort of like an Apollo project for for cars and transportation that, you know, you've got basically like a John F. Kennedy needs to stand up and say, by the end of the decade, we will get rid of cars in our cities. By the end of the decade. Yeah, if I can do my bad Boston accent. We will. But you know what I mean? Like, we that's will the send urgency. a man on a bus around the city with no traffic. In it will front take of him. less than three hours to go across 34th Street. <laughs> yeah, then. but I mean, I, I do think that that urgency, it needs to be expressed in that way. And I'm okay with it. And you know what? Look, like I said, I tell some of my friends the title of the show, and some of them are like, whoa, that's too much. But others who never give a thought to this thing say, wow, great title. What's it, what's it really about? Yeah. And it's a great conversation starter. Okay, so thanks, Steve, for your voice memo. Let's take another. Hello, the war on cars. I'm Jim, by the way, and I am leaving a memo from Canton, Massachusetts. It's a suburb roughly just 12 miles south of Boston. And you know what's what sucks about driving in Canton, Massachusetts? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it is so easy and convenient to drive here. The suburbs were made for cars, and here I am, the lonely bike advocate, bike commuter, fighting the war by himself. So what's your advice to somebody in the burbs? Mm, That's a good one. That's a great question. That's such a good one. That's tough. You know, it's tough. It's really tough with the suburbs. And I think one of the reasons why we like to focus on the cities is because in a certain way, the city is easier to fix. You know, the city has density, the city already has transit and people who use it. And then you look at the suburbs and you're just like, man, what what are we supposed to do with that? It was literally designed for the car. Well, we have to define suburb though, right? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Boston is a really great example because you've got Boston proper, which has pretty good transit. It's got the T, it's got a good bus system. It's very walkable. Yep. You've got the inner ring kind of railroad 
suburbs like Brookline, Massachusetts. Yep, your old streetcar right? suburbs. Where the streetcar suburbs where you can walk off the T, the green line, and you know, you've got your row houses on one block and then behind that are the bigger houses and behind that are the even bigger houses. Yeah. So those places are probably not that hard to fix. Oh, they're salvageable. Too. But when you're talking about really sprawled out places that were designed kind of post-war and I'm a little familiar with Canton, Massachusetts, because I'm from the Boston area. Yep. That's definitely going to be harder. And the question is, is it worth fixing? Is it, you know, how do you get critical mass to rally around fixing a town where you are the lone bike advocate? Yeah, I mean, I, I have some thoughts. I mean, there, there's, play, you, I think for folks in the suburbs, you've got to identify spots where a big public project is happening and where you can insert yourself into that debate. So, for example there's gonna be a new school built. And very often they're taking some high school that you know was built 50 years ago in the center of what was once a pretty nice little traditional town, and they're moving it out to some cornfield, okay? So that's like an example of a project that's gonna, it's gonna essentially produce a lot more sprawl and a lot more driving. There's a way for activists and advocates to insert themselves into those kinds of projects where you know they get involved in the fight and look you're probably not going to succeed in getting them to not put the school in the cornfield right school's probably going in the cornfield but by inserting yourself you might have some luck in at least you know getting some transit built getting some bikeways built making it so that the entire new exurban sprawl high school is not just a huge car trip generator and you could also change little things right so no one expects like dense walkable downtowns to spring up in some of these post-war suburbs but you know there's a vacant building on a corner and it could turn into a market uh so that people don't have to drive to the target or the walmart that might change just a little bit and it's just yep. a little changing around the edges you might be able to do you're not going to get everybody out of their cars well, and, but... and then once you have something like that you can start to talk about well let's build some sidewalks you know let's like diversify housing let's like densify this yeah. neighborhood let's allow like somebody to use their garage as like an accessory dwelling unit you know a grandma flat yeah like let's Let's let more people live. This here. is if you give a mouse a cookie, but for urbanists, you <laughs> yeah, know that exactly. story, right? Like, like he's gonna want a glass of milk to go with it. But yeah, I think you can slowly build these things and change it. And look, you know, a lot of these small towns, especially in places like Massachusetts, um, Ken's not that small, but they have commuter rails, and yep. so maybe you can build up the area around a commuter rail station and work on that. I think there's a lot of opportunity. Obviously, it's going to be much more difficult. We should throw a link to uh, this. There's a book by Ellen Dunham Jones called Retrofitting Suburbia. That's really good on this. We'll throw it in the show notes. Well, what about biking? What's he going to do for biking? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's biking, right? right? He wants to bike. Right. So biking is a, it's a, it's a tougher thing. Biking in the thing. burbs. Yeah, biking in the burbs is a, a tougher thing because, first of all, you don't have critical mass. You don't have, you know maybe 30 people who you can turn out to a meeting right away, at least, to advocate for better biking. But, you know, maybe there's a road project that's going on in your town, a, you know, a repaving or something, and you can get in there and get to the town meeting and uh, advocate for them making it a little wider on one side for bikes. Yeah, I, I think that's the best advice. It's like you, f you find a project that's underway and you, and you figure out a way to insert yourself into it and, yeah. and make a ch try to make a change on that specific project. And also, I think, you know, given the political atmosphere these days, run for something, you know, yeah, if you're heck, the bike guy yeah, in your not? town, I mean, I'm not saying everybody can do this. People have existing careers, but run for something yeah. and, and, you know, or volunteer for something and insert yourself into the dialogue. Bike guy for select board. Yeah. <laughs> the selectman from, Massachusetts, from Canton, Massachusetts. So I think, yeah, I think that's it. Thank you, Jim, for the excellent call with the Boston, with a real Boston accent. And let's take another one. 
Hey, my name is Vaughn. I'm from Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, I used to live in Houston, Texas. And the thing about Houston is it didn't really grow until after the car was already popularized. So it's huge, it's really low density, and it's full of interstates. Uh, because of that, it's really difficult, maybe impossible to meaningfully bike in Houston. And that also really hurts the efficiency of the bus system. So my question is, other than huge land use changes, which would be fantastic, but also very difficult, how do you redeem a city like Houston that was specifically built for the car? Man, That's Houston. That's tough. Houston is tough. I'm going to piss off everybody on in Houston. I was in Houston a long time ago, and I, I felt it must have been where I was. It felt like a post-apocalyptic Los Angeles. <laughs> like it was really, I was really like, man, you have to drive everywhere. And the, you know, yeah. the humidity is awful too at yeah, times. Hot. It's a tough, it's a tough city. I mean, it's a great city. There's a lot of great people there and, and he's right. It's tough. Yeah. I man, think, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for yeah, that comment. Well, I'm sorry. You know, Houston. we always have to insult a city, some other city each episode. So, um, but no, look, there's a lot of really good urban activity happening in Houston. I think there's a real constituency to make Houston more of an urban place and less of a suburban sprawly place. I feel like with these really big sprawling cities, you've almost got to pick a neighborhood and focus on it. Yeah. You've got to somehow reduce the problem to a specific spot. And you know, I'm, I went to high school in Northeast Ohio. By the time I was in high school, it was an incredibly sprawled out place with a kind of a bombed out urban core. And you you would see kind of like the seedlings of really good urban stuff happening in specific pockets. And I think that can really help to just focus on one of those pockets and help try to build it out. And also, I think that places like Houston have more in common with dense cities than you might think. Because like you were saying, you know, if I tried to fix all of New York, if my advocacy was focused on all of New York and getting bike lanes everywhere and improving the bus, and improve, I, I would fail. I'd be exhausted. Yeah. And so like you're saying, tending your own garden, picking Pick a, spot. a spot that you can improve um, really helps. And that's how I got into advocacy. It was just a bike lane sort of in my backyard, a bike corral over here. And I think that, like you said, find that little two or three square block yep. place that might have like a little bit of density. And so, okay, can we put a little bike yep. parking over Urban here? Urban acupuncture, you know, stick a needle in that one spot. So thank you so much, Vaughn. And we're going to take another one. Hi, Sarah, Doug, and Aaron. Um, I'm Margarita Parra. I live in um, Redwood City, California. My idea to you is to work more on the angle, uh, describe more, talk more about um, free car days. These are instruments used in some cities where for periods of time, some um, streets and major avenues are close to traffic and I think that has a tremendous impact and we don't do enough of them and I recently went to the Women's March yeah and I arrived in San Francisco just before the march passed through the main streets in Market Street and when my husband and I and my daughter arrived uh, everything was so quiet and we arrived by the metro here BART and and we came out to the streets and it was like a completely different city uh, San Francisco with no cars and it was so great. This smells different and you can hear everything, the wind, everything is so nice because there's not that noise and there's not that space. And I think that feeling of a city free of cars is something people should experience. Um, and maybe that will change their mind. So I hope you take this idea up. Keep it up, guys. Man, I love that call. Margarita, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I love that. Um, Car-free days are, I think, maybe the number one tool that cities can use to transform their streets. And you know, here in New York, we have 
Summer Streets, which is now 11 or 12 years old, three Sundays, three Saturdays uh, during August, they shut down basically Park Avenue yep. to cars, and it is completely open to people on foot, people on bikes, and it's and it's wonderful. And what Margarita talked about about that about the sounds and the smells, yeah, that really, really if you're paying attention when you're there, that is you can hear like a traffic light switch. Yeah, you know, you you don't hear any honking. You just hear like the hum of buildings. You hear pedals. You hear runners and their sneakers hitting the pavement. It's that's yeah, it's one amazing. of the best things you so, can do. Yeah, I mean, so a car free day event, you know, you might think, oh, that's just a stunt. That's just a one off, but it's actually a really good way for people to get a taste of what it's like to have city streets that aren't dominated by motor vehicles and their noise and their exhaust and you know the crowding and danger it gives them this little taste and it and it leaves them hopefully wanting more and it works i mean when enrique peñalosa the mayor of bogota colombia came to new york like what was that almost more than 10 years ago he said that you know doing car-free streets, doing this this big event called Cyclovia in Bogota, was one of the things that really allowed his administration to start making lots of other changes to the streets because it gave people a sense of what the city could be like if it weren't dominated by cars. Yeah, and summer streets, they do some programming. There's some fun stuff and concerts and food and stuff like that. But if you're doing car-free days right, you don't actually need a whole lot of programming. Just the fact that people are coming out and running and biking and walking is enough to give them, like you're saying, that taste. I will say uh, Margarita's comment about the pre-Women's March hours in San Francisco uh, reminded me of my favorite day of the year here in New York, which is Marathon Sunday. Yeah. So Marathon Sunday in New York happens in early November, first Sunday of November, and it also happens the day after or the morning after the clocks switch. So historically, my children being young are up basically like five yeah, in the morning. And it's terrible for me and my wife. But what we wind up doing is we get the kids out early on their bikes because we live by the marathon route. And I just let my kids ride on the street for a good solid hour. Sometimes it's cold, but it's great. They're just going back and forth. The cops have every intersection blocked off in advance of the race. And it's that same kind of thing of like getting out there and being like, wow, this city could be totally different if we just didn't let cars turn into a sewer, basically. I I live on a pretty busy traffic-y street that actually intersects with the marathon route. And when the marathon closes our street up to cars, one of the things that happens is all the kids on our block come out and start playing ball in the street. And what's really interesting is that we realize, every year we realize this, is that there's a bunch of kids that live just on the other side of the street from us and our kids, and we never see these kids. We Our kids never play together. Yeah. And it's on that Marathon Sunday that all these kids start playing together. You realize like how much having this like heavily trafficked, horn-honking, exhaust-spewing street really separates you from your neighbors. I I was going to also say that with car-free days, if you're an advocate, get out there on those days and petition and sign people up because you can collect email addresses, you can get people enlisted in your cause. I know Pittsburgh, I think Bike Pittsburgh actually sponsors their and runs their car-free days there. So that should be something that if you're an advocate you're out there doing on the take And take photos, you know, it's it's evidence. It's evidence to use for later. So when you have a fight later and the fight involves, oh, we have to take, you know, cars off the street for some reason or another, 
um, and people start fear-mongering and saying, you can't remove cars from the street. That's impossible. You're going to destroy the neighborhood. You're going to create you know, traffic Carmageddon. I mean, you can literally show them evidence of like, look, we do this and we love it. <laughs> we do this multiple times a year and it's yeah. fantastic. And, and you also photos. can show them evidence of the types of people who might be biking because in a lot of cities, cyclists tend to be male. They tend to be in their 20s or 30s. Um, you know, there's a lot of exceptions to this, of course, but on summer streets days here in New York, you see little kids, yeah. you see old people, you see people coming from every different type of neighborhood, and it, it shows that there is an audience for this and that they're hungry for it. Yep. So thank you, Margarita. And now we have another voice memo. Hello, The War on Cars. My name is Michael Chuchi from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'd like to share a quote from Colombian politician Enrique Peñalosa. The quote is, a developed country is not a place where the poor have cars, it's where the rich use public transportation. And I think about this quote a lot when I'm biking around Philadelphia and other cities, and it leads me to believe that in America, we make it too easy and inexpensive for people to own and operate private vehicles. What do you three think about that? Yes. yes Charge cars. Yeah, I love that quote. First of all, you just mentioned Penulosa before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, the Penulosa you know, It's so inspiring. That quote is so amazing. Here's what I'd say. I think that in America, we use way too many carrots and not enough sticks. Like, you know, we have all of these uh, encouragements for people maybe to carpool or to drive it off hours or, you know, share the road. But we that doesn't change behavior. That doesn't move the dial in any measurable way. What you need to do is you need to charge drivers for the privilege of accessing streets. We totally understand this with, you know, toll roads, highways, and things like that. We need to start understanding the cities. We understand this with happy hour at the bar. We understand this. The bar doesn't have many people in it. Yeah, we understand this with free cone day at Ben and Jerry's, right? Like the line is around the block because the ice cream is free and all other days you can walk in there, go straight up to the counter and pay $4 for a small ice cream. We need to do the same with driving instead of $4 yeah. for a small cone, $50 to drive your car into the middle of the I mean, hand. acknowledge that it. it's tough in the US because we've made, we've made a country where almost every place that people live, everything has to be done in a car. Yeah. So there's this real pressure to keep gas cheap, to keep cars cheap, to keep driving free. And that has to change. And the place where it's easiest to make that change is big cities. It yes. has to start in big cities. So places like New York, DC, Seattle, San Francisco, places that have this sort of crushing traffic congestion have to start making transit better and cheaper and driving more expensive and taking the money from driving and putting it into transit. I mean, that's that's what's going to make this thing change. And in a way, I mean, the political will is what it takes to do it. But in cities, it's actually the infrastructure is there to make it happen. Yeah. So New York has free bridges. Just make them not free. Boston has, you know, the big dig tunnel that goes right through the middle of it. Well, guess what? If you want to drive through Boston and get on your way, then you know, whatever, go through. But if you're going to get off on an exit and go to Faneuil Hall, you should be charged for it. Not just for where you park, but you should be charged for actually driving on the city. Well, and, And you look at like a city like Oslo in Norway and you go there and you see electric cars everywhere and small electric cars. And you're like, how did this happen? Like, why are there more, you know, Teslas than Toyotas? And it's because basically they've made diesel cars more expensive than electric cars. You know, they, they are making a concerted push using taxes and fees and kind of economic pressure and incentives to convert the entire automobile fleet of that country to electric. And it works. It works and it's working really, really quickly. 
Yeah. So we love that quote from Penulosa. It's it's amazing. I think it should just be like tattooed on every city leader and traffic engineer. Yeah. And, and Penulosa is a quote machine. He's got the one about the um, you know, cars are like wolves and every, you know, every so I don't often. Think I know that one. You don't know that one? No. He he used he used to use that one a lot where it's just like, you know, we live near the woods and every once in a while one of our children will be walking near the woods and a wolf will jump out and just take one of our kids and we're just okay with it. We just Man. accept it. Oof, you know? like, that's, that's a good quote. That's how he views like, you know, cars killing children. I mean, on a more uplifting note, one of my favorite quotes of his is the idea that a bikeway is a symbol that a person on a $30 bicycle is as valuable and as worthy as a person in a $30,000 right, car. Right, like a, a really beautifully built that. bike lane. Yes. yes. I love that quote because that is exactly it. Like the people who are biking around your city, who are walking around your city, they are no more or less a person, a citizen than the person driving. And we yeah. need to really change that equation. All right, uh, so, uh, spoke, uh, spoke. Nice job. This is Mad Dog. <laughs> You're really going for it. Back to that. Uh, back to yeah. the accent. Back to the accent. That's it for the mailbag episode of the War on Cars. Thanks to everyone who sent us a voice memo. If we didn't use yours this time, do not despair. Aaron's gonna go home to his wife, and this is the voice he's gonna use. You've been today. doing this all day. Yeah, you've been practicing. So listen, try again. Um, if you send us a, if you send it, we love to get the voice memos. If you do it, keep it brief. Um, try not to make it sound like you're reading it. Just tell us what is on your mind, maybe right after you've listened to an episode. Uh, you can reach us via email at thewaroncars at gmail.com or by tweeting us. We are at the war on cars. And if you do send us a voice memo, I got to say Steve's voice memo towards the beginning, you could hear like traffic in the background. Yeah, I, I kind of love, love that. that was a great effect. Yeah, great. I don't know if that, he piped that in himself, like a sound effect from his phone, but that was pretty awesome. So if you can do that, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So thanks everyone. Thanks everyone who sent stuff in. Uh, support us on Patreon by going to thewaroncars.org and clicking donate. We will send you a sticker or other special treats. Uh, special thanks to the law office of Vaccaro and White for their generosity. And don't forget t-shirts. Go to cottonbureau.com. You can get yourself a buttery soft War on Cars t-shirt. This episode was recorded by our producer, Curtis Fox. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our logo, the one on those t-shirts, is designed by Danny Finkel, Crucial D. I am Aaron Napperstack. I'm Doug Gordon. Sarah Goodyear will be back with us for the next episode. Thank you for listening to The War on Cars. This is producer Curtis Fox. In our recording, we forgot to credit Michael Hurst for making this jingle. I'll tell you who I like. I like this Sadiq Khan in London. I think this guy's got chops. Yeah, cycle superhighways. Cycle superhighways. Those things are pretty good. Pretty good. The cycle superhighways. Impressive work. That also named Sadiq Khan. I mean, that's a, that, uh, that's gold. It usually works pretty well when you got someone named Sadiq Khan in your city doing you good know, stuff in the streets. Jeanette Sadiq Khan, first ballot Hall of Fame DOT commissioner, probably the best of her generation. Yep, probably the only. So you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs>